0: Welcome to Comically Pedantic, where we take a detailed look at the complicated concepts, characters, and history of comic book culture. I'm your host, Eric L. Chase, and joining me on this episode is the wonderful Kira Gumbinger. Hello. Welcome back. Um, It's been a while since we recorded uh, the first episode of this um, due to a lot of unforeseen circumstances. So many. (laughs) I think, well, the last time uh, we recorded, you were on your way to vote um,
1: yes I was with my mother and we won so there we go
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I just had a, a quick question anything going uh, uh, great in your life anything going wonderful
1: anything that's going great or wonderful in my life um, I just got a new job and I'm getting a lot of positive feedback from the CEO of the company that I'm working for so Ooh, nice. um, I am definitely pleased with that
0: I recently switched from drinking coffee all the time. Uh I, I do have tea more often, but it's it's a lot less caffeine. And um a funny thing about caffeine, when you get rid of a lot of it, your body's not happy. Uh so I have been I have been having a lot of um uh moments where I just have to focus on things that um this is just a happy little uh place where i can live for a moment until i <laughs> until i calm down
1: until i <laughs> get stop through crying. the crying
0: yeah uh so uh, we were talking about dave sim and i think the last time we talked um we had a lot that we went over uh he was a dick to his wife um, and a
1: dick in general he- <laughs>
0: Just yeah. In general, uh, he created a uh, comic book that had a wide acclaim uh, and then lots of controversy, (laughs) featuring an aardvark who raped a woman uh, and became pope. It's a very convoluted story. Ah. And I think where we left off, um, we were in the middle of we were in the middle of Dave's uh, anti-feminist rants. Yes.
1: Oh yes. The the Dave hates women letters.
0: Yes, which he, <laughs> he he claims is not misogyny. I would argue that the words uh, disagree with him. Um, but I mean, we aren't quite done with his anti-feminist rants. We haven't even finished the comic that I was quoting from on the last episode. <sighs> uh, but there's always more. There's always more with him. Uh, but picking up where we left off, quote, the point, of course was that the male light was not the exclusive property of men. It was very close to being the exclusive property of men, but as Victor Davis had reminded himself, there are exceptions. In the case of self-publishing, Victor Davis's idea of self-publishing was best summed up by Don Simpson's promotional slogan, One Comic Book, One Universe, Why Pay More? There were the indisputable contributions of Colleen Duran and Terry Wood. The problem, of course, in acknowledging exceptions in the female void dominated age was that exception was always extrapolated into being a universal truth. This was the shaky foundation upon which feminism was and is built. Mm. So, uh, Victor Davis, if you don't remember, is his sort of pen name. It's his like in universe. Uh, it's it's, it's his fucking insert
1: character. It's, it's his Mary Sue insert character.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. just uh, it's just an author within this universe that writes all the shit that he wants to write. I don't know why he didn't just put his own damn name in it. Um I, but it's not him.
1: It's his self-insert character.
0: <laughs> and the the um the idea of the male light and the female void is again uh men are apparently creative and wonderful and logical beings and women are just holes that suck that up. <laughs> you know, I, would, so, I,
1: mean, I have a lot of X's that would lead me to believe the exact opposite. The exact opposite. <laughs> but go off. I mean, whatever, Davidson.
0: So, I mean, like what, what he uh, wrote here is, again, a point of conjecture and no actual evidence is ever presented. And as we discussed in our previous episode, if Dave wants to have an actual debate on these topics, that's great. But he has to be able to give some evidence for his assertions. As far as the foundations of feminism are concerned, this isn't even hard. um, What he is saying here is even harder to nail down because it's not like feminist movements are one big monolith. Mm -hmm. They're largely described as waves and focusing on different aspects of what it is like to be a woman in a historically male-dominated society. I'm inclined to believe he means second-wave feminism, but earlier in this piece, he discusses women's suffrage, which is a first-wave issue. It seems yep. he doesn't want to get too specific. And if I had to guess, that's because this is based on his feelings rather than data, which is something he should be opposed to considering his own writing. He can continue to play this game of arguing that his detractors won't rely on logic, but his doesn't even stay linear or specific in any way. <laughs> the, the, like, the, that doesn't even get into, um, like feminism as a uh a, a multicultural thing. A I was multi-ethnic gonna say it thing. doesn't
1: even begin to address intersectionalism or just right. basic like women are different entities. Like it's it's like the woman hive mind <laughs> idea.
0: Yeah. And, and there I mean, I uh, I spend an inordinate amount of time listening to uh bullshit white right wing conspirators. And a lot of like what they tend to come up with is just sort of, uh, I don't want to feel bad about this specific thing, so I'm going to look for ways that excuse me from feeling bad about it. So like, is a uh, lot
1: of anyone who experiences privilege, like I feel as though. Um, a lot of people who experience privilege, they're like, well, I'm going to excuse myself of this particular thing for X, Y, and Z. I'm a woman. So like, I can't be racist because I know what it's like to be discriminated against. It's like, no, you're a white woman and you contribute to racism. You know what I mean? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, I, I look, I have had my own moments of mm-hmm. having to look, look back at stuff that I'm like, why did I feel that way? Or why do I feel this way? And it's just, it's because I have lived uh, a, a a privileged life. And whenever that comes into conflict with anything else, it's like, oh, no, protected at all costs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to change. And that's something I think everyone needs to, to, to look at in their own, you know, their own life. Um, You know, obviously, I think being a white uh, man, um, I think there's a lot more that I benefit from than uh, like even you uh, or someone else. I would
1: say as a white woman, though. Even the way that I am oppressed benefits me in some ways because, like, white women are infantilized. Like, we can't do anything wrong. We're just so weak and frail. <laughs> Whereas black women are, like, hypersexualized and Asian women are somehow hypersexualized and also infantilized. And it's, it's a very, but, like, as a white woman, they're just like, you're here. And also, yeah. that's that thing, Michelle... <laughs> Michelle Wolf, uh, she's this comedian. She has this really funny bit where she's talking about uh how white women really didn't do anything for any sort of feminist movement because we were we were made too comfortable. She was like, "Oh yes, it's very hard to start a revolution from under a duvet." <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I mean, I mean, that uh, you actually reminded me of like my point in sort of bringing um uh, the right wing conspirators up is like not it's not just the trying to excuse mm-hmm. um feeling bad there's also this idea that if you're a white man your people are the white men <laughs> and if you're anything else you fit into that group so uh it, it's 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 convoluted because it's also you cannot answer for other people of your group. So, if a white man uh, um, commits uh, mass murder, well, it's not all white people that are the problem. We, we we can't we can't say that. But it's often used the other way, though. Yes. If if a let's just say a Muslim person, if a Muslim person. Um, uh, kills a bunch of people that commit mass murder, then it becomes, well, it's a problem with their culture. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. It's an inherent uh, I, within their particular culture. Whereas if a white person does it, well, you know, they were mentally ill or they have some sort of excuse, or maybe they have no excuse, but it's not everyone. It was just one bad egg, so on and so forth. But right. if, uh, you know, uh, any like if, um, economic inequality leads to more gang violence happening in predominantly uh African American neighborhoods, then it's a problem with African Americans as opposed to, I don't know, economic inequality. You know what I mean? They, this that's their logic. White people, it's we're all individuals, but anyone outside of this particular group, the other, uh, is the it's it's a whole group. Any individual oh, uh, yes. labeled as the full group.
0: And that gets back to, uh, to how, how Dave seems to be viewing everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, his, claims, his claims that feminism is built on the idea that exceptions make the rule, which is his coded way of saying that women do not deserve equal treatment because they are not equal. Um, he has done everything he can to fight the label of misogyny, but that is what he is choosing to say with his platform. Mm -hmm. He is unqualified to be taken seriously as a human being. If there was any doubt of this, then I have to point you to this next section. Quote, the emotional void relied almost exclusively on contradictory anecdotal evidence. Not all women are like that. I have a friend who dot, dot, dot. And that gives away the game. -hmm. There is almost no evidence in this entire piece that is not anecdotal or based on entirely in his own imagination. He is projecting these negative thoughts, and it logically leads to a couple of conclusions. Either he is a misogynist trying to rationalize his hatred, or he is the female emotional void that he has spent the last few pages denouncing. Oh, hold up. If, If you're using his own logic, that's what it brings you to. So either he's right. And he is the thing that he is denouncing or he is wrong and he needs to accept that.
1: Yes. Well, how could he possibly accept that when it's not him? It's the world that is wrong.
0: And, and it, the world is wrong because in his view, it is female dominated.
1: Oh yeah. we were on the <laughs> problem.
0: So he does go on for a little longer, but there's only one more section I think uh, that is worth looking at but we first need to have a bit of backstory. In the early days of Cerebus, one of the few people who followed the series from the first issue was a woman named Diana Schutz. She had an extremely brief run of four days as an assistant editor on X-Men, but found that the job required unrealistic expectations and enjoyed the smaller, more creator-owned aspect of the comic book industry, so she left for Comico. Mm -hmm. She met Dave and eventually took the role of proofreader for him. Now, this was unofficial at first, but it became an actual job right around the uh, the time that this issue of Cerebus came out. This shouldn't be taken as an agreement with the text, as she stated several times that she views her job as grammatical in nature and not to interfere with the story itself.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Dave, at the time, had also become somewhat friends with Jeff Smith, creator of the comic series Bone, which is fantastic. (laughs) If you've not read Bone... I highly recommend it. It's it's like a uh, I would say it's like an all ages book. There's a couple of things that people got upset about. Mostly, there's some gambling and like cigar smoking and some um, like it's weird. There's a character named Phonebone, and I don't know what he is. He's like a, a weird little cartoon character. He's a fucker. <laughs> he has a romantic interest in uh, a woman in the uh, in, in the series, and some people I thought that was weird. I think if you just look at it as a cartoon, it's fine. I'm, like, I mean,
1: we literally watched Family Guy for years, where the dog was straight up boning like. <laughs> <and people.
0: laughs> That's true. So <laughs> um, it, it's I, but I highly recommend it's 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 like Lord of the Rings as a comic book and uh, geared more all ages. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. I'm a big fan of Jeff Smith.
1: Is it as religious as Lord of the Rings is?
0: um no all right uh, there's there's a lot of uh there's like a weird religion that pops up towards the end um but it's more just based around like some weird prophecy and it has nothing to do with like or at least not that I, I mean it's been a while since i've read it i don't remember any like real world uh mm-hmm. connections um i do know that there are some rat creatures that are obsessed with quiche and they're amazing
1: I am a rat creature that is obsessed with quiche.
0: You would absolutely enjoy this series. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um,
0: So so both Jeff and Dave were luminaries when it came to self-publishing and both had accomplished wonderful things with their respective books. Dave had even gone to the trouble of introducing Jeff Smith and Diana Schutz, who became friends in their own rights. Which brings us back to Dave's anti-feminist rant in Cerebus 186. Quote, Oh, no. No way. Uh Uh-uh. Jeff Smith is shaking his head violently from side to side. He has lunged forward in his seat, his hands waving in the air as if shooting away a large insect. All of his movements are agitated. At the other end of the couch, his wife sits, her feet tucked beneath her, calmly smoking a Marlboro light. Her features are inscrutable. Victor Davis takes another sip of his beer. You'd agree that death is male, he asks? Yes. You'd agree that birth is female? Yes. Which one is winning? No. No. No way. It's just not true. He stares straight ahead for a moment or two and then looks at Victor Davis. I just don't think that way, man. I just can't see that at all. Vijaya grinds out her cigarette in a small glass ashtray. At Jeff's insistence, the discussion ends. They agree to disagree. Victor Davis isn't certain what the disagreement is, but clearly an impasse had been reached. They begin to discuss animation instead. So, I know that sounded weird, um, especially because in the rest of what he wrote, it's just sort of his weird rants. And then this mm-hmm. is written more like a story. And let me like just put to rest anything. That is completely weird. It is written without context yeah. in the middle of this thing. It is just <laughs> thrown in um, and then passed by, which leads me to wonder what exactly this whole thing was about. And luckily... Jeff gave an interview with the comics reporter about five years after this when he was questioned why he and Dave are no longer friends. Quote, what he wrote about uh, was a time he came to visit me and he told Vijaya and I a story. He told us about his ideas. He sat down on the couch and said, let me tell you the color of the sky in my world. And then he talked about what he wrote about in 186. This completely upside down world. Vijaya and I sat there and at First, we talked about it with him, and we were like, wow. And you go, you kind of have a point there, sort of, but it's an upside down uh, thing there at the end. Later, he added, he's going on and on, and Vijay and I are like, going, can we go to the bathroom now? It was just so, he, he just wouldn't shut up. And finally, I said, Dave, if you don't shut up right now, I'm going to take you outside, and I'm going to deck you. It was that serious. There was a dead silence, and he squinted his eyes. He took a drag off his cigarette and that was it. We had a fun time. We went down to the first year at Ape Alternative Press Expo. That's why he was in town. We went on to have a really nice weekend and we didn't talk about it again. So, I mean, even there, um, I believe that version of the story (laughs) a little bit more. Uh, Dave shows up um, at the house. Uh, They're having a good time. And then he starts in on his fucking weird rants and won't shut up. And they just tell him like, look, you got to tone it down or I'm going to fucking punch you.
1: (laughs) That should be more socially acceptable. That should be a socially acceptable Uh, way to handle things.
0: Well, I think you get punching, you get Nazis Mm -hmm. and maybe people who are dicks to their wives.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Punching Nazis, punching people who are dicks to their wives. Um,
0: I feel like... I'd say that Venn diagram's a circle, too.
1: Yeah, I was, that, <laughs> definitely. I think that there should be a special exception for, like...
0: No, people who are mean to animals. Oh, yeah, yes. Uh, I'm really nervous about watching... There's a Netflix show uh, called, like, Don't Fuck With Cats.
1: Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's, it's like a serial killer documentary.
0: Oh, is it? I thought it was, like... Um, I thought it was like uh, where they had videos, they'd caught people uh, like being mean to cats, and like wow, they were like ex- they had exposed them or that, something. I don't know, really it's like, something. All I know, all I know <laughs> is that like that idea makes me so uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, <laughs> no, I would never, like, never, I don't necessarily watched. want to see that.
1: I can watch serial killers like torturing and murdering people. I can't watch people be mean to animals. That's just wrong.
0: There's a, there's a website um, that's all about, like, it, uh, I think it's called uh, Did the Dog Die or Does the Dog Die?
1: Yeah, it's I mean, just it's you can find out you put- what movie The Dog yeah. Dies in.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're like, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> Uh, Jeff later adds that when the issue came out, they were dumbfounded at Dave's portrayal of them, as well as taking the concept of a tour that a few of them had put together, deciding that they didn't need to be involved, and then publishing these tour dates on the back of the issue. All of this added together just proved to be too much for Jeff, and he wanted nothing more to do with Dave. Uh, So, I mean, he remained friends with Diana, who had only proofread Dave's nonsense, and remained removed from the actual conflict. So that's how they ended up no longer being friends. It's it's it wasn't even just the weird uh misogynistic rants. It was he just continued to be a dick. I you know,
1: it, I can handle you being a misogynist, but I draw the line at being a dick.
0: And I'm curious if in that situation it was more like oh he'll come around. Kind of like I mean I've had yeah. friends where like they have some uh I would consider very bad opinions. And I've had moments where I'm like, no, if I stay friends with them, I can convince them they're wrong because I know the good that is in them.
1: Have you managed to do
0: that? Uh, with a couple, yes. But <laughs> I would say the vast majority, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't know. I mean, it could have been Jeff felt comfortable with like a, a particular level of misogyny. I think... Um, mm-hmm. that can't be discounted. There is uh, plenty um, that I think society has sort of normalized in terms of, like, this is an okay amount of misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I mean, I mean, go, like, I, you know, I love Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously your parents did. Uh, they parents named you after, after Star, Star Trek.
1: Trek. <laughs> You're a Um
0: least. And I would say that feminism plays a big role in later Star Trek. Um, uh, but yeah, especially no, I'm earlier, it, it is very much uh, a male-dominated, women do their thing. Oh, ha those plucky women. Um, and even in the later uh, series, there's still some of that that creeps in just because it's, it's what you, know, you, you kind of were, were, were raised to believe at the time. So when you're writing it,
1: incredibly progressive for its time. Incredibly, yes. So you cannot discount. <laughs> However, looking back at it now, yeah, it's like watching CGI from like 1994, <laughs> and then watching CGI from now. Like it can't compare, but it still was huge for its time.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I will never take away the credit from Star Trek for for things like that. Yeah. I will just add an asterisk. (laughs) 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 So, years passed for everyone involved, but Dave felt the need to respond to Jeff's criticism and the the denial of events. This rebuttal came in the form of a public challenge to a boxing match in the back of Cerebus 264. Oh my God. The entire thing reads like an angry child's temper tantrum, so I won't subject you to more of that since I think we've read enough of Dave's editorializing at this point. But I find it very interesting how often this tactic comes up in discourse. Dave says he spent a long time trying to figure out how to explain this to a larger feminist and feminized crowd, which is just him, again, attacking anything that he doesn't see as masculine. Yes. The whole thing is performative masculinity, almost immediately becoming toxic. Mm -hmm. In any case, Diana had sat through enough at this point. She read the letter to Jeff and promptly turned in her resignation. Good for her. (laughs) Yeah. Quote, I was aggravated at the time uh, at Dave's printing my letter not in the issue in question, not in the issue in which he called out Jeff Smith, but in the subsequent issue, which contained a 20-page anti-female diatribe over which his secretary Carol West did quit. Over which I would not have quit, because it was exactly the kind of thing I was used to proofreading, namely an argument, no matter how faulty, in which Dave believes. However, By juxtaposing my resignation letter with this 20-page anti-female diatribe, many of Dave's readers, who did not read my resignation uh, letter carefully enough, assumed that I quit over the anti-female diatribe, as did Dave's secretary, and not over the calling out of Jeff Smith. That aggravated me because I got a bazillion fucking emails, and I felt compelled to correct all these people I didn't even know. It was a big fat waste of my time trying to explain to people, hey, I didn't quit over that. (sighs) So as Diana mentioned, Carol West did turn in her resignation by the time the following issue came out, when Dave published his diatribe against women entitled Tangent. This is how he opened that particular part of the comic. Carol West resigned her position as Aardvark Vanaheim's administrative assistant, a very fancy feminist name for a very plain secretarial secretarial position. Maya culpa, maya maxima culpa, and I don't intend that ironically. After inputting a first drought of tangent parts one and two, her resignation, far from being either a surprise or a disheartening event to me, seemed to just be the latest example of feminism undermining its own 30 year long campaign to be taken seriously as a societal movement by literally getting offended and leaving in a huff whenever it encounters any viewpoint, which does not represent absolute capitulation to its own.
1: <laughs> mm, she's a snowflake because I hate women and I made it very public that I hate women. And then all the women who worked for me quit. I don't understand what a snowflake.
0: <laughs> now I would argue that Dave isn't being fair. Mm -hmm. Uh, The resignation, from what I can tell, isn't about a differing viewpoint. It's about working for someone, in effect, supporting someone who doesn't view her as a valuable member of society. (laughs) He's basically saying that he can say whatever he wants about her gender, her sex, her beliefs, or anything else that is intrinsic to her person, and she must continue working for him, or she has betrayed her feminist movement. So let's flip this. Okay. Dave has spent a great deal of time working as a self-publisher. During his time working for anyone other than himself, he railed against what he saw as a stifling creative environment. If you remember from our previous episode, he described editorial as a capricious intruder and you saw and saw a way to work in an environment without them. His solution was to quit and work for himself. (laughs) So... It's okay if he decides the workplace is not congruent with his beliefs or work ethic, but Carol's decision that the workplace was not congruent with her beliefs is an indictment on feminism as a whole.
1: Yes, because (sighs) the other, the woman, uh, represents the entire group, whereas he, the individual, because he is man, can do whatever he wants.
0: Well, he's he's positioning himself. He's the exemption mm-hmm. of uh, from from everything because it's like, well, I didn't do that because I was upset. I did that because I didn't like working for other people, which is and so equivalent
1: at all with being upset. Even though some might argue <laughs> that that is exactly what that means.
0: <laughs> so let's look at tangent uh, and what it has to offer. Very early on, we get the following paragraph, quote, All I got out of that research, I already knew. A. Women want to be raped by rich, muscular, handsome doctors. B. Women are completely self-absorbed and thus see themselves in everything around them. And C. Feminism is no different from communism in that all of its literature is founded upon convoluted syntax, baffle gab, and academic jargon which paints a false, albeit attractive picture of an unattainable utopia which can be achieved easily by everyone in the world, simply and simultaneously. In both feminist and communist literature, the crux point is invariable, changing their basic nature overnight. (laughs) Great. Jesus Christ. Okay. I forgot. I wrote this so long ago, I forgot how fucking crazy it is. Uh Um... I mean, what a what a thing to come to.
1: <laughs> what a what an idea to be like, yeah, I've been proven. This has been proven to me.
0: <laughs> I look and look. I am I agree with feminism and I agree with communism and many elements. What? So, I mean, if you want to I wouldn't necessarily say that they are the same damn thing though.
1: <laughs> I'm really one is Okay, so I guess you could make the argument that both are movements for equality, but one is economic equality and one is equality of the sexes. Um,
0: and Yeah, and I mean, I guess if you had communism, you could strip away a lot of um, what is keeping women down in our society. Uh, yeah, I think you uh, because- have
1: feminism as part of a communist society. However, I don't think that they're equatable.
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) Following up on this idea, he he writes, the research which most contributed to my ideas about women was the series of informal interviews I conducted with mothers and daughters, with mothers about their daughters, with daughters about their mothers, with daughters about their daughters, with mothers about their mothers. It was really the first time in my adult life that I spoke to women who I found physically unattractive. And the first time I spoke to women with any motive beside getting them into bed.
1: My so. now my jaw just dropped. I wish you could have seen that. Holy dropped.
0: <laughs> Holy. This is something I find fascinating. For one. The wording here suggests that he has only ever spoken to women as sexual prospects and never valued them outside of this. And this could be a contributing factor to the bias he had in actually researching feminism, since his lack of actual appreciation for women as people seems to be apparent. (laughs) There's also the fact that he states his research Uh, that most contributed to his beliefs came from informal interviews, which is not a standard study and offers no real conclusions outside of anecdotal nonsense, which he routinely opposes. Like in this following paragraph, all women are feminists and all feminist evidence is anecdotal. Ask them a question and they will tell you a little story. Ask them a question to clarify what you infer is the point of the story and they will tell you another story when they do attempt to draw a conclusion or a larger inference from an anecdote they will often ask does this make any sense and the answer of course is almost invariably no it doesn't make any sense
1: <laughs> oh my god i have so much to say that i can't say anything you know
0: <laughs> i so when i was doing my research for this i i printed out um his writing um the I'm ones so- that were, I, I think, a little bit more um, inflammatory, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I read through all of them, and I just highlighted the parts that I was like, oh, fuck. And I, as I went, I was just highlighting entire paragraphs. <laughs> and I was just like, holy shit. Because uh, I had read some of this before. I, I had done my own uh, looking into Dave Sim. Mm-hmm. I, I've always found him a bit um, uncomfortable. And um, but, it in
1: a comfortable way,
0: yeah, I mean there's there are certain things that um I came to Dave Sim for in terms of like artistic mm-hmm. uh, accomplishments. I was like, "Oh, that's really cool. I want to see more about this." And the more I read, I was like, "Oh, he seems to be kind of a dick, and I've read some of it, and I was like, "Oh, that's enough for me to just not really care. I don't want to look anymore. I' don't then when I decided know what to write about this. <laughs> When I decided to write this, I was like, I guess I I really need to know a lot more. And I was fucking flabbergasted. (laughs) And wait, it gets worse. Oh, good, good. Uh, Yeah. So I have personally known and met several women who are not feminists, which is anecdotal evidence I'm providing. But so is literally everything he just said. So there's also the interview he gave with the AV club where he incorrectly inferred the meaning of the interviewer's question and gave his own story as an answer. I remember that. Uh, He really only (laughs) seems to focus on these perceived negative traits when they relate to women. Yes. So I can't emphasize enough how he is weaponizing vagueness. (laughs) Refusing to provide specifics allows the reader to believe what he is saying is based on something real. But it's just him stating whatever he has made up couching this behind a demand for proof from detractors is just a sneaky way to be perceived as legitimate. I might sound like a broken record, but there's no other way to address his claims. From there, it dovetails further into nonsense, like arguing alimony needs to be abolished for there to be true equality, which we already discussed with how women are paid less and often have the most uh, to lose during a divorce. Mm -hmm. It's not even crucial to continue this because I feel like we've already covered his broad points. And at this juncture, if you're not sure how he feels about women, nothing more I could say would convince you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, my brain is just absolutely fried by that. Like, I I feel like incredibly angry and also empty.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Most of the rest of what Dave Sim has done in his career has been left on the sidelines, and it's never really amounted to gaining him the respect he had once had while working on Cerebus. He has largely been known as a misogynist ever since deciding to write his thoughts on gender, which is something he vehemently denies to the point of creating a petition stating he is not a misogynist that he asks to be signed before he responds to any messages. I found this laughable, since you know who doesn't usually need a petition to prove they're not a misogynist? People who who aren't misogynists. (laughs) (laughs) you've heard me list Dave's own quotes, including uh, stating he writes hate literature against women. So I don't think I have to tell you my personal feelings, but I have to say I was a bit dismayed to find some prominent names on that list that I had once really respected. Bill Willingham, creator and writer of Fables, which is a fantastic series, is on the list as well as Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. God damn it. You can ask my mother. I was fucking obsessed with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles growing up. And I still, I have tons of their comics. So Eastman's inclusion isn't that surprising considering they've been friends and peers for quite some time. Uh, It's just, it was a little shocking for me to see. I guess I just really didn't want to see it there. Mm. Um, But they had even worked together um, on what they decided to call the Creator's Manifesto, which became the Creator Bill of Rights. And the idea was fairly simple. They wanted to put forth a document designed to explicitly protect the rights of creators in a field dominated by work-for-hire practices, and often abuses of power. These are some of the very things that Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, legends in the industry, had fought against. The truth is that the comic field is one full of abuses of artists and writers. Pages have been taken, work uh, is underpaid, and it is rare to find artists with health care. Bill Mantlo, creator of Rocket Raccoon, spent many years being cared for by his brother and in a hospital. But Marvel set up a private screening of Guardians of the Galaxy as a thank you, even though they were in desperate need of money for his care. That's not to say it isn't great to see Mantlo get recognition, mm-hmm. but that perhaps the, the .0083% of Endgame's box office that would cover the expenses would help one of those people who made the movie possible. Mm-hmm. They could have they taken not even a percent of what they made and paid for his, uh, his care. Uh, and he is, like, he created Rocket Raccoon. And you might think like, oh, well, that's just like a, a minor character in these movies. But they're fucking billion dollar movies that are, are made off of this guy's creation.
1: And they can not spare. Be taken care of. They couldn't spare it. They were just like, yeah, you can see the movie for free.
0: Right. I mean, they, they were like, hey, we'll, we'll let you see the movie. That's fucking cool. That's not really helping. <laughs> no. So Corporations don't help. These are the things that, no, not at all. These are the things that the creator's bill of rights were supposed to help. By putting forth the rights creators have while working in this industry, the hope was that artists, writers, and even publishers would change their attitude in regards to what is both acceptable and beneficial. Mm -hmm. Now, while there are some interesting ramifications of this, like Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics series of books or a general attitude shift that led to the Image Comics exodus of the early 90s, it ultimately went nowhere. Even Dave Sim admitted as much, stating, It seems obvious to me that Steve Bissett and I are the only two of the original participants who are interested in discussing it, so I assume everyone else has decided that it was worthless and something to be ashamed of. I'm enough of an egoist that this pushes me in completely the other direction, and I suspect the same is true for Steve. <laughs> so Dave's championing of self-publishing and the right of, rights of creators has probably had a greater impact on the industry through his insistence on printing Cerebus phone books, which are essentially collected trade paperbacks of larger story arcs of his series. Mm-hmm. Uh, while collections are, were definitely a, a thing prior to this move, Especially in the manga department, it was Cerebus that truly popularized such publishing in other markets. Mm-hmm. So, like, he called them phone books because they're the size of old fucking phone books.
1: Yeah. Because um, they have a bunch of copies of the, like, they have a bunch of
0: issues. For the younger audience, I think they might not know what the hell a phone book looked like, but they were gigantic. They, so, I mean, he, he, they he had put it these things fun. together. <laughs> Right. Dave offered his collections through mail order Completely circumventing Diamond Distribution The ma- main distributor of comics In the American market Diamond has had its own fair share of problems over the years And its monopoly on the industry hasn't helped much So I personally find it really amazing That Dave was able to do this mm-hmm. He even made Arrangements for the series to go into public domain Upon his death Which is another move that I just have to respect uh, You know God, Refusing
1: that death comes soon. <laughs> After all the
0: other shit. <laughs> Public domain is a weird thing to me because I I, I do think that there is something uh, to be said about like artists having some say in the things that they created. Yes. Um, but I also think that uh, there is a point where um, relinquishing that control can lead to a lot more creative stuff.
1: Well, just look at Shakespeare as a whole, all of his works are public domain and how many really great movies have been taken based upon his stories. And I mean, how many stolen in the first place, you know what I mean? But still,
0: (laughs) right. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. And and I have weird, uh, I've mixed feelings on a lot of what uh, Dave has done. That's like good because it's like, (laughs) Even if it's ineffectual, like the creators' uh, bill of rights, I still think that's amazing, Mm -hmm. and I think it should be uh, 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 adopted. I don't understand the reluctance to it um, because it's it's just perpetuating um, uh, labor abuse, basically. But you work from home, so you're you're a work for hire. So we don't have to pay you a living wage. We don't have to pay you on time. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have to pay. you're in charge of your taxes, your health care, all of that, but we're making so much money off of you. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, hmm, I gotta hate the way that this uh, country is set up. (laughs) Let's back up just a bit and talk about some of the other changes Dave went through in his time doing research for the book. Starting as an atheist, he began reading the Bible and the Quran, which led to mixing the stories and adopting his own take on Abrahamic religions. In his view... Conflicts through religious texts are the result of an ongoing argument between the true male God and you who, a false female God. Oh. He has has said he views all of the Quran as valid, but only parts of the Christian Bible and only the Torah and the Niveim from the Jewish texts. He has (laughs) even taken to denouncing Muslim extremists by stating they aren't true Muslims on a post by previous subjects of this show. Scott Adams. Check out our first two episodes for more on him. These beliefs have led Dave to making many changes in his life, including periods of fasting, almsgiving, daily prayer, and fortunately, celibacy. (laughs) I wouldn't normally be so harsh as to say, thank God this man is celibate, but I feel this is a particularly good moment to feel that way, uh, not just for the things he has said about women, but also because of what he has done to at least one of them. And we're going to talk about that right now.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, oh, what happened? In
0: 1983, Dave met a 13-year-old fan at a convention that he described as tiny and physically perfect in my eyes. Uh, Now, (laughs) he admits his attraction and feelings for her were wrong, but he remained talking to her for many years, often sketching her or sketching on her. Uh? He has written about how he violated the Mann Act in 1985 when when she would be 15 by getting her across state lines to stay in his hotel room with him.
1: Oh, so he, he raped a minor.
0: According to him, no. He wants to be clear that he didn't sleep with her. He has a photo that he keeps in his house during one of their times together that he describes as very important to him because that was the happiest time in his life. And he follows that up with stating, Wrong as it was, you can't pretend your happiest moment isn't your happiest moment. They continued this relationship, and he slept with her for the first time, he claims, just before she turned 20.
1: That's bullshit. And in case that is, in case this isn't
0: obvious for any of our listeners, if he is telling the truth, that's still wrong. That's called grooming. (laughs) Also, he spent years. Cozying up to a child, ingratiating himself into her life, and the fact that he didn't sleep with her when she was a child makes no difference. The act had been done. But Most I don't of this he information could
1: with her before she turned eighteen easily. He,
0: I, he probably. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know her. Uh, but I mean, judging by him, I wouldn't put it past him. Is what I'm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would say. Um, it's. But he he fully admits to these things and acts like, well, I mean, it's not a big deal. And it's like, well, but it is. It's huge. You are... (laughs) Most of this information came to my attention just recently when a hate group called Comicsgate, of which an episode is forthcoming, and actually I've gone back and decided I'm going to do a whole fucking series on these people. uh, Team teamed with Dave to publish a book during the backlash. It was pointed out that Dave had spent years grooming a child. And the first deflection I saw stated it's exactly how Elvis met his wife, Priscilla, but okay. And that's like, yeah. "Yeah." And it was fucked
1: up when he did it too. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yes. Also
0: gross. Also
1: gross. (laughs)
0: But before long, even Comicsgate had to part ways with Sim. And according to Dave, he hasn't seen the girl since 1992. Just two years later, he published his first anti-feminist misogynistic rant.
1: Yeah, because she got...
0: Four years after that, he became celibate. And that is Dave Sim.
1: I hate it. Thank you. I fucking hate it.
0: I mean, I know you hate it, but... I don't know how you feel after hearing all of that. Um, Do you have any, any thoughts on Dave?
1: (laughs) I hate him. Um, No, uh, I do. But I mean, no, that's not my only thought. Um, I think that this is a very disturbed man who uh, was, I, I, I honestly think this like, egotistical, toxic masculinity sort of persona was created by his overwhelming drug use in the 1970s like we talked about in the first episode. I think a lot of this like absolute insanity comes from that because like there's a difference between finding yourself using acid and like destroying your brain using acid. <laughs> and well, and
0: if if, if it's meant to, if <laughs> what we have read is meant to be believed, he took acid every fucking day. Um and probably a lot. Uh-huh. Uh and until he had a breakdown. Yeah. And you know, I can't imagine that not leaving a fucking hole in your brain. Exactly, um,
1: and you know, not. To, I, I genuinely believe that Dave Sim might have been a genuinely okay guy before. <laughs> and
0: I, I mean, I, I, I've done some reading, and I would say that he came off as like slightly creepy. Uh, yeah, but I, I would say any man. In I world. mean that. That can, that can definitely just be sort of the time, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I, I was just, I forget what I was reading, but I was reading about like a, um, a celebrity apologizing for something that they did when they were a teenager. And I was like, yeah, it's good that you're apologizing, but I'm also thinking like I probably did or thought, uh, pretty awful shit when I was a teenager too. Oh yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. So I mean, like I definitely think there is something to be said about apologizing and moving forward. Uh, but I mean, everyone's kind of an idiot when they're younger. Proving <laughs> <do> you've
1: <laughs> like, grown think- and moved forward and and saying like, yeah, that shit was stupid. Like, did like um, disowning your past self, saying like that that was awful. I'm so sorry. I I know better now. Like that is the way that the <laughs> world should work. And. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. And I think um I think it makes sense uh to look at the world that way. And I would say that Dave probably had that sort of um he he had that at one point. He had the option of sort of going, ah, I was kind of a dick, I was kind of creepy, like I kinda of, uh uh ingratiated myself into my wife uh wife's life. In order to date her, Um, which is like a weird thing to do. I wrote a an Arvark
1: rape scene, and that was pretty terrible. Like he could have come back from that, you know, and he didn't. There to go. I I have seen into (laughs) misogyny.
0: I have seen worse from from people who have then apologized and moved forward. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I know I've mentioned it on a previous episode where I talked about um, the creator of Community, Dan Harmon. Mm-hmm. Um, he fully admits to uh, he had a a terrible working environment when they were working on Community. And mm-hmm. also, there was a woman he had a crush on and he kind of treated her like shit because uh, she wouldn't date him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he apologize to her mm-hmm. and it was a legitimate apology. It was a look, I did a bad thing. There's no excuse for it. Um, I need to apologize to you and make sure that you are doing, uh, better now than, uh, you were prior to that. Yeah. And, uh, I need to do a better job of, of being a good person.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I don't know. I don't know if he has done anything like that again, but I would just say that like, like, that is enough for me to be like, you deserve a second chance. Maybe yeah. not with I will
1: cautiously maybe she, she might grant you yeah. a second chance.
0: And like it's up to her whether or not she wants to like continue yeah. like a, a friendship with him or not. Yeah. But like in terms of like whether or not you're going to make amends for the things that you've done, Dan Harmon, I think, did one of the best apologies that I've heard. Yes. Um I agree. And that that's great. And I think, you know, Dave could have had that. And instead, he just went fully in the opposite direction.
1: <laughs> well, no, I'm right. That's it.
0: <laughs> thank, thank you for being on this episode. Um, and thank you for listening to uh, one of the most depressing stories that I've had to write for this. Well, um,
1: <laughs> I was more angered than depressed, if it makes you feel any better.
0: It, it'll probably come later. You'll be sitting in bed at night being like, I fucking hate that guy. And then you're just <laughs> going to think about it. And you'll be like, man, that's a, it was, I feel so bad for everyone involved in his, his life.
1: <laughs> and I just get depressed about everyone else in his life. Okay. All right. Well, I'll wait for the second stage of grief to come in. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I mean, I think you could hear even like, I wrote this and I was reading it to you and getting re-angry as I was reading it, because I was just like, oh, yeah, fuck this guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, wait, yeah, fuck this. Oh, man, this sucks. He sucks, yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me.
0: Of course. Now, you can find more information, including all of the sources for today's episode at comicallypedantic.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram by searching at PedanticCast and at DerekAlchase on both platforms. New episodes come out most Sundays on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at comicallypedantic.com. This show is entirely listener-supported, so if you'd like to support the show, help us stay ad-free, and possibly be mentioned on air, you can check out the Patreon link at the top of comicallypedantic.com. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them in text or audio recording to comicallypedantic at gmail.com. Please indicate if you'd like your name or question read on the air. And if you like this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing to help spread the word. It does take a super long time uh, for me to write all of this, and um, you know, it 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 would help if um, I didn't. I wasn't so worried about paying my mortgage. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but we will be back soon with a look at the concept of fridging and the various ways that women are treated in comics. And until then. You can find more exciting adventures at your local comic shop.